0: So, I was thinking of something that, like, really, really impacted my life, and so I was going to share it with you really quick. So, almost five years ago, I went to Tanzania, and um, it was, like, 12 days of camping, you know, no electricity. It was amazing. I saw the Milky Way and the Southern Cross. I mean, like, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life, and at the end of the trip, we got to go on a safari, and I was like... This is going to be awesome. We're going to see all kinds of animals and, like, you know, up close and stuff. Well, you know, in your mind, in our American mind, we're thinking zoo. Or one of those drive-through petting zoo things at, the, at best. That's what you're thinking, okay? You do drive through it. I will give you that. That is true. But there are no moats to keep the animals away. There are no cages no electric fences, nobody with a dart gun nothing okay so you're you 're on a dirt road going through their home like that's that 's it. I mean you are so don 't show it yet. I have a picture for y 'all okay, so my worst fear in the whole entire world it used to be flying on an airplane we we'll had to get over that so. The seriously, the worst fear of my life is being attacked by a big cat, like a cougar or, you know, a mountain lion. Like, I'm outside a lot doing stuff, and I'm just not paying attention sometimes, and it just, I just know they're stalking me like, you know, just like they grab the back of your neck, and they drag you away to their lair, and that's it. That's, in my mind, that's what's going to happen to me, so... Hopefully not. Anyway, so in Africa on the safari, we saw all these things like elephants and like monkeys, and they were like, you cannot have snacks out on this because the monkeys will jump into the car to get you. And you're not in a car. That's that's misleading too. You are not in a car. You're in this SUV, but it the top pops up. And so there's this much that's open, or maybe it's even convertible. I'm not sure, but there's no top, okay? There's no top, no protection. So you have to keep your food put up. All right, so we see the elephants, wildebeest, flamingos. It's beautiful, breathtaking, amazing. I can't even believe what I'm saying. Then we're going through the monkey land and <laughs> the, the jungle, seriously, the jungle. And up in the tree, I'm not kidding, there is a dark jungle cat in the tree, laying there, and his tail is like the jungle book. That's what it's like, the jungle book. Yes, that's what it was like. Then we get back out of the woods, and I'm like, oh, that was close. And we see like a mama lion with her cubs, you know, in the field, and I'm like, Ooh, she is, like, close, but she's tending to her young, and she's fine. Well, this other female comes up, and you can just hear her growling at that other line, like, you better stay back. And I was like, what if they get the phone? Oh, my God. You know, it was just like, oh, so scary. Well, then, in the line of SUVs, you know, you got them coming both ways. Okay, Connie, show them. But daddy showed up, and he was, like, not staying off the road. He was on the road. Look how close he is. And see those things where you're not protected. You're just not protected. There's nothing anybody could do to save you if he wanted to get to you. Nothing. All right? So then he decides to come on up a little closer. I have a, a closer photo. Um, yeah, that's not zoomed. That's how close he was to me. I was about to. Freak out. Okay, so then he got so close to the, to the SUV right beside ours that he marked his territory all over the driver of that SUV. That was my close encounter. That's my story. Okay, so that was amazing but super scary, and now it's even more my worst fear than it was before that. So it did not help me conquer anything. So, yeah, that was crazy. Okay. So, tonight we're going to talk about a different close encounter in Scripture. Um, I was thinking about, you know, what really could we get out of this? You know, what does it mean? What does a close encounter mean? And I was thinking about different people throughout Scripture and the examples that are preserved intentionally for us to live our lives by, to learn from these people, to you know, kind of get more of a gauge on the heart of Christ and what he's called each of us to do. And there, I want to look at two people in Scripture tonight. And the first one, if you have Scripture, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 18. I'll be starting in verse 18. Um, it's a very, you know, familiar. It's a familiar passage for people who've kind of been in church and heard, you know, a lot of stories throughout their life. But I I thought about it in a way that I have not before when I was studying for this tonight, and I want to share that with you. So in verse 18, it starts out, "'Once a religious leader asked Jesus the question, "'Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life?' "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus asked him. "'Only God is truly good. "'But to answer your question, you know the commandments.'" You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. So he has crossed the T's, dotted the I's, and checked all the boxes, and he's good. He's considered a religious leader. He knows everything about the law. He even knew before he asked Jesus... He knew the law. He knew the commandments. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. So all my life, When I've heard that, read that, I had the man in my mind that was not willing to sell his possessions. That was what was in my mind. He was, you know, too selfish or too prideful or too attached to all his belongings or his money or what he had acquired. And and that had meant a lot to him. And I was thinking, that's probably why I'm not rich. You know, it might keep me, you know, out of trouble not having any money or something like that. But when I was praying about it and I, I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, really, that's all of us. There is something that each person uniquely struggles with. It doesn't have to be material things. It could be pride, jealousy. It could be comparing yourself to other people and never feeling like you're enough or hating somebody because you're not them. I mean, maybe they haven't even done anything to you. But you struggle with that, or maybe it's what you secretly struggle with in your mind that nobody else knows or would ever guess, but you know. It's things that you do that you know are against God. And I started thinking, what if Jesus got me face to face? There's no running, no sitting beside somebody feeling better because I went by myself. I'm talking you and Jesus. And he locks eyes with you, and he knows everything in your heart anyway. And he says, this is what I want you to lay down and not pick back up. Would you go away sad, or would you be willing to lay it down? And it is so easy for us, knowing he's not going to walk through the door and come right up here and call us one by one, to go, oh, I would lay it down. And if I was that guy, I would lay all my money down, too. I I would do it. But how many of us cannot do the simple things that we know we need to do to honor God in our lives, like love somebody that's not lovable, or step out and do something you believe that God is calling you to do, but you're scared, or forgiving somebody that wronged you so long ago, and maybe they don't even care, and you've built up bitterness and resentment and hatred in your heart for them, and that is keeping you from doing all the things that God could use you for because that is built up in your heart. It's so easy to look at somebody else. Just like a few chapters before this, you know, Jesus had been going everywhere, teaching, and people were kind of figuring out who he was, and, you know, he was healing people, and he was teaching, and and he was addressing you know, the Pharisees' heart, in their heart, you know, this guy's praying and, you know, he doesn't even feel worthy to even pray at all. And, uh, you know, the religious people are like, thank you, God, I am not like him. You know, when that guy... His heart was in the right place. He was humble before the Lord. He was trying to lay down his life to serve God. And, the, and then the people who think they have it all together are the ones that are wrong. So you can't go by what you see on the outside. That's why the Bible says man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And he knows our hearts, and, and he knows what we struggle with, and he calls us to repentance. Even if you've been, you know, following Christ for 20 years, if you're struggling with something or you are convicted in your heart because you know that there's something going on that's not pleasing to God and He has shown that to you, and you continually brush it off, pretend like it's not real, or keep doing it anyway, to you that is sin. Sin. Scripture is clear for those that know it's sin. If you continue to do something you know is wrong against God. And I was challenged with this. I, I have, you know, really been faced with a lot the past few days studying this and, and God showing me, what if, what if Christ was standing in front of you and called out the things that you're not willing to lay down? Would you, would you do it? Or would you walk away sad? There's just so many things in our lives that we try to compare. Well, it's nothing compared to what they're doing. It's it's nothing compared to how I used to be. Yes, it is. It's exactly like that. It's the same thing. You cannot compare yourself to another person or or this sin to another sin. If it is against God, it is sin, and that's that. And we... If we claim to follow Christ, we are called to lay it down and not go back in a couple of days and pick it back up when we feel better. The conviction has subsided and we feel like, you know, well, nobody's going to, it's not that big of a deal. If you're having to weigh it out in your mind that it's not that big of a deal, you know it's a big deal. I've always said that to my girls and it's the truth. The minute you start trying to, to figure out a way to make it okay is the moment you know it's not okay. So the people are like, well, okay, who can be saved then? Because we all have things, you know. And I, I love that this is immediately following this terrible situation with this rich guy, you know, not being willing to, to give everything he has. So in chapter 19, it says, you know, Jesus is still going, teaching, you know, um, In verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He did not become rich by working really, really hard and being an honest guy, okay? He was a little crooked. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. So, you know, there's crowds and a bunch of talk and all this stuff about this guy who's doing all this crazy stuff, healing people I mean, people that have been born blind and they're now adults. They've been blind their whole life. He's just touching them and they can see. Or people who have leprosy or can't walk, you know, just the touch of his hand or the words from his mouth are healing these people. So everybody wants they want some, you know, and and they want to meet him, and they want to see him, and they want to see what what all the fuss is about, you know. Like a wreck, you can't look away. You've got to, you know, and it's kind of like that. Like everybody's just crowded around him. They want to see. They want part of it. They want. I mean, surely I have something wrong with me. I'm going to ask him to do something for me. You know, everybody wants, everybody wants their share. Um, so Zacchaeus wanted to see, and he, you know, short person problem. I understand. So he like climbs up in this tree so he can see over everybody's head. Okay, so. But what is so cool about that is maybe nobody else even noticed Zacchaeus doing this. And with all these, no telling how many people were just like surrounding him. You know, like he was like a celebrity. You know, you've seen the celebrities with their entourages and stuff and people pressing in on them. But Jesus knew exactly who was in the tree, why he was in the tree, what his name was, and everything. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Not only did he say, what's up, man?" you know? He was like, come on. We're going to your house. I want to hang out with you. Because he's personal and because he cares. And he's not just looking at, you know, the mess we are. Just like when Kenny... Um, gave the message the other day. He called um, the guy in the wine press, Gideon, I'm sorry, I can't remember, um, mighty, mighty Warrior. He sees who we can be. He sees who God has made us to be. He sees the potential we have if we will follow after Christ. Just like Peter being called the rock. Peter messed up so many times. But redemption, repentance, all those things lead to the life that God has for us. So he says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. He didn't say, My house is not cleaned up. I'm not ready for company. That's what I would say. I mean, you know, he's like just so excited and overjoyed, and they just went to his house right then. So, but the people were displeased. You know, you've always got those people watching, waiting, ready. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So they're talking, you know, they're scheming their own thing. They got some, you know, some stuff going on too. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. Zacchaeus, being with Jesus, he was willing to lay everything down and give back even more than he had taken from people. So that right there shows that it is impossible for us to do it on our own, but nothing is impossible with God. And I love how the story is followed up with Zacchaeus, like, see, it is possible. Zacchaeus did it. It is possible. You can do it. It's hard, it is hard to to pray and ask God to show you what is displeasing in your life to Him. And when you're shown that, and nine times out of ten you probably already know it before you ask, but um, when you're shown that, you're immediately convicted because you're called to lay it down and go the other way. Not only lay it down and be like, you're not supposed to walk away sad when you surrender. It's the people who don't surrender that walk away sad. We should be filled with excitement and joy that God has provided a way for us to lay down our struggles and our weight and our baggage and our past and offer redemption and renewal and restoration and rest for our souls because we are called to lay aside every weight that, that comes against us, that weighs us down, that bogs us down, because you cannot run your race dragging a bunch of crap behind you. Come on. It's too much. It's too heavy. This life is hard enough without doing that if you're pushing toward Christ, much less walking in shame and much less worrying about what everybody else is saying about you and everybody else is doing against you If you have been set free by Christ's blood and you know the truth of the scriptures, don't carry all that around with you. Don't stay stuck because that's exactly what the enemy wants. That's exactly what keeps you from doing what you're supposed to do. And you're inwardly focused focused on yourself, your problems, your pain, your struggle, your depression, your family is a mess, your life is a mess, you don't know what you're going to do. It's not even your fault. You don't know how you got here. You've tried your best, but nobody cares. That's all about you, all about you. And we could all sing that song every day. But that is not who we are called to be. And I have had to get on my knees and beg God to restore the joy of his salvation to me a lot of times in my life because this life is not easy all the time most of the time and if you really are loving each other and bearing each other's burdens you're in you're hurting for each other you are standing in the gap and praying for each other when you know somebody is down and hurting and going through something, it, it, becomes, it becomes a burden for you too. Yeah. And it is a privilege to go to God on behalf of somebody else and bear that burden for them. That's what we're called to do. Yeah. Be outwardly focused. Love the world. Jesus said, that is how the world is going to know that you belong to me, by how you love each other. Not by how much money you have, not by how how many sins you avoid, not by keeping track of every good thing you ever do or every bad thing somebody else does. It is about how you love each other and how you push toward Christ. He is our goal, He is the reason we run. And it's a race and it's a fight. It's described like that because it's hard, it's not a dance and a celebration. That comes later. Yeah. That's the prize. Yeah. It's a race. You get tired. You get weary. You want to quit. You're, you're, you're in pain. All these things are weighing you down. And that's why it's so important to know where your rest is supposed to come from. Who you lean on. Who you go to. You don't go to all these people who are going to feed you negativity and all these things, you go to God's Word where it's full of truth and it's, it pierces you like a two-edged sword. It's alive. just It's more alive than we are. And when you get that heart of stone taken out of your body and a heart of flesh that is tender and ready to learn and grow and live and love, It changes everything about your life, and it sustains you from the time you're young until the last day you are here. It is not a phase, it is not a season, it is life. It is a new birth, and it is is the most wonderful thing that you can ever—it's worth the fight. It's worth not quitting. It's worth pushing when you don't think you can push anymore. Because you don't race alone. Jesus will never leave us. It does not mean it's going to be easy, because it's not. But you're not alone. And we are called to live in the freedom that Christ died to give us. Just like Zacchaeus. Just like the rich guy had the opportunity. He knew everything. He had it all up here. But what matters is what he had right here. And it's the same for us. All those thousands of years ago, it's the same thing for us. We just make it so complicated. It is not complicated. There is complete freedom in your surrender to Jesus. It's not like, you know, everybody's going to make fun of me because I'm going to be like the, you know, stick in the mud. I'm not going to have any fun anymore. It's not about that. That is for a season. Every phase of our life is a season. Living for Christ is is what we're here for. Giving God glory with all of our mess-ups and all the things that we think we can't do. We can't do it. That's the beautiful thing about it. People see God at work in your life instead of you at work in your life. If you if you don't have that, I am begging you to search your heart and ask God to show you. Just ask God to show you. And... This is not a small group question, but I do want everybody to really think when you get home and it's quiet and you're alone and it's just you and God, what if he really did walk in the room and look at you in your eyes and say, if I asked you to lay down this, and never pick it up again or leave me forever, what would you do? Do you hold on to anything tight enough to keep you from Christ? That's a big deal. It it was a big deal when he said that to me this week. It really changed the whole feel of everything I was going to say because That's what matters. What is standing between you and the relationship you know that you need to have with Jesus? Is it a person? Boyfriend? Girlfriend? Stuff you should not be taking in with your eyes, wherever it may be. Things you may be doing or things you may not be doing that you're supposed to be doing. All these things. It's not about the rules and we are going to mess up, but it is about your heart, seeking after the righteousness of God. It's just a seeking desire for the things of God, being hungry for the things of God. Are we hungry for the things of God anymore? Were we ever? It's really something to think about. It's not just for somebody else. If you claim Christ. It is for you, too. That's what you're claiming. You're claiming to follow Christ, so learn what it means. I'm going to pray, and just, if you need to come pray, come pray. If you just need to think about what is it in my life that's keeping me from the relationship that I know that I'm supposed to have with Jesus, what is it? And why can't I let it go? Why do I keep going back? Why do I keep going back? We all go back to things. Stop going back. Don't do that. You cannot lay it down if you keep going back. That'd be like you drowning somebody, throwing you a life vest, putting it on for a second, and thinking you have your second wind to go swim to shore without it, taking it back off. Why would you do that? You wouldn't. You would hang on to that for dear life. You wouldn't dare take it off until you were safe. It's the same thing. Let me pray. Father, God, I come to you, Lord, right now, and I I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this time, Lord, to Lord, just read your word, Lord, and and just share what you said to me. God, it's about our heart and And there are things in my life and in all the lives in this room that stand between the relationship that you've called us to have with you. And I think that a lot of times we use that as an excuse like, well, I'm not perfect and I'll just pray for forgiveness. And that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. I pray that you will give us a seeking heart. I pray that you will restore your joy of your salvation to our hearts, Lord, that we'll be, God, we'll be just always trying to please you and trying to know you better and trying to move past the thing that you're calling us to move past in our life, God, that trips us up and weighs us down. I pray that we won't walk in shame for things that we've done wrong, Lord, but we'll just give it to you. God, we'll be like Zacchaeus and we'll be joyful and excited when you call us from the place we're in to come and be with you. Thank you so much for making a way for us to be able to have a renewal in our heart, God, to make us new, a new creation. Thank you for that. And thank you that we don't run this race alone. We don't fight alone. And I thank you that you're the prize at the end. Just pray that we will understand that that's enough, that Jesus is enough. I thank you so much for your great love. And I thank you so much for this time for us to be together. I pray that you're honored now. In your name I pray, amen.